How many of you are looking forward to your kids getting back to a ritual of schedule at school? Only a couple honest people. I'm proud of you. I am a, I am a creature of um, schedule. I, I, I really like schedules. I like things that uh, work uh, on specific days and, and times. And uh, I like being able to take my kids to school every morning. I'm excited about tomorrow. Uh, because uh, a schedule helps me to stay focused on some things. And uh, when I'm focused on some things, it helps me. When I get uh, out of focus of things, when the schedule's off, it... Uh, uh, it sometimes messes me up, and maybe some of you are, are like me in that way. Uh, if you are uh, a parent of kids, you know very well what it's like to be woken up unexpectedly, right? Um, maybe when your babies were first born, you remember the sleepless nights because crying has no schedule, right? Uh, and, and food needs by babies oftentimes has no schedule, um, I'm thankful for a wife who uh, worked diligently to get our kids on a schedule. It helped uh, in a lot of areas for us to be on a schedule. But I don't like being woken up unexpectedly. I really don't. Uh, I remember uh, specifically one uh, illustration, one story from uh, my college life, my college career. I was a, a freshman in college uh, back in the late 90s at Indiana Wesleyan University. And um, my dorm room was right up against the stairwell. So our door was right next to the stairwell. And we were on the third floor of Carmen Hall, and I was in the, the, the suite right next to our door. So the front door to our dorm room uh, was right next to my bed. And I was sound asleep. I have no idea what time it was in the middle of the night, uh, but I was having a dream. You know how you have a dream and something in your dream actually happens in real life, and you wake up and you're like, "How I must have been dreaming while this was happening. It's just amazing the way our brains work that way. I was having a dream that an airplane was flying across Indiana Wesleyan University, and it scraped across the top of our dorm and ripped open uh, the roof of our dorm. It was an amazing dream. I remember it very vividly, and I remember the sound of the ripping back of the roof of our dorm. And I woke up from that sound in that dream, and I woke up, and there was smoke filled in my dorm room. It was amazing. And I smelled what smelled like fireworks, which I was very familiar with. Uh, so I made sure that my private stash of fireworks was not being tampered with. No, I, I woke up, there's smoke in the room, my roommate is freaking out a little bit, and there's the sound of the fire alarm out in the hallway. And I knew my dream was not a dream, it was reality. A plane had somehow ripped open the roof of our dorm. Thankfully that wasn't the case, but I didn't figure that out until we got outside. Uh, someone had decided to set off one of those giant rolls of firecrackers right outside of my dorm room door. Awesome, right? Awesome, except that I wasn't the one to think of doing it. Uh, it. It was pretty exciting. The whole dorm filled with smoke. We all had to exit, and I was woken up unexpectedly. And I remember the feeling of being uh, awoken that way, thinking that the worst had happened. And thankfully, uh, even though I was blamed for it, um, it, it all turned out all right. And the guy who uh, did it confessed, and I was let off the hook, thankfully. It was a great experience. Uh, but I don't like being woken up unexpectedly. I don't even like uh, alarm clocks uh, in, the, in the morning. I don't like the sound that uh, any of my alarms make on my phone. I don't like the sound that my uh, alarm clock makes that's on the, the desk stand next to my bed. Um, Ezra is about to start the first grade uh, tomorrow, which is a pretty big deal, and uh, we're pretty excited. And one of the things he wanted before he started the first grade uh, was his own alarm clock. 
Ella's had an alarm clock in her room. It's pink. Ezra's favorite color is orange. So we got him an alarm clock uh, just this week. It came in the mail. We're pretty excited. He's pretty excited. His one wish we didn't fulfill was that it would uh, wake him with a gentle uh, cow mooing. (laughs) That's what a first grader is desiring in an alarm clock. I like that. Uh, unfortunately, we got him this one, which does not do that. Um, maybe I can figure out how to wire it to do something like that, but uh, probably not. But this is Ezra's alarm clock. And I think all of us have similar experiences to the sound of an alarm or the sound of something waking us up from our normal schedule. All of us have experienced in our lives the, uh, the, the ritual of just going about our business. Maybe it's six hours of sleep for you is your, uh, your normal business of sleep. Uh, maybe it's your, your schedule and something in life happens along in your life and you are woken up. Your, your schedule is mixed up for a moment and you are wide awake. Adjustments happen in our life just like they happen in a night's rest and we are uh, brought to an awaking mode. And the truth is all of us have uh, some kind of a, a, a personal ritual, more than likely, about how it is we move from that uh, slumber to our let's go face, right? Uh, we have some kind of a ritual in the morning. Maybe you're like me and you push the snooze button 87 times. Anybody want to confess that? Okay, 87 times. That's awesome. Shame on all of us. Uh, all of us have something that helps us in the morning. Uh, some of you are, are, are of the generation that you like. You looked at this alarm clock and you're like, yeah, I knew that punk kid had an alarm clock. Well, I have no alarm clock. The, uh, the, the, the moon wakes me up. I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. Some of us just don't even have to have an alarm clock. We just have this ritual where uh, when it's 4.30 in the morning, our body just wakes us up. That's an internal alarm clock, and something's wrong with you if you have that. I'm just going to say that straight off. Something is wrong if your body wakes you up at 4.30 and you think it's time to get ready for the day. Um, but, but honestly, I, I, strive, I strive to be like you one, one day when I grow up, maybe. This morning, there's a, there's a parable in Scripture Uh, that Jesus tells this story that I think I want it to serve to us as a a wake-up call, as an alarm clock for us as Christians here this morning. Most of us here have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. That's why we're here. And many of us have been uh, experiencing, maybe in this season, uh, a good rest. Uh, Maybe we've been experiencing a, a sleep, even as a Christian. This is not a good thing. Uh, We've been experiencing the season of being okay with the way things are. Uh, We've kind of grown accustomed to uh, how things are going. And I want this message, this parable of Jesus, not the message that I'm about to preach, but the the parable of Jesus to truly serve us, because it served me this week, as a wake-up alarm, a reminder that it's all about life and death. Uh, That even though I like being on a schedule and I like when things are not topsy-turvy, I like when things are known to me, there are some things going on, not behind the scenes, but right in the present tense, that we should be people who are working diligently for the kingdom of God. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. And this parable really serves as a symbolic alarm clock for us. And I I really wanted to proclaim the need we have to wake up. Matthew uh, chapter 25. If you you look at Matthew chapter 24, uh, Jesus is giving these wonderful illustrations and this wonderful reminder of uh, what it's going to be like when the Son of Man returns. 
He's foreshadowing what's going to happen in what we oftentimes refer to as uh, the rapture, the second coming. All of those details are yet to be worked out. None of us knows, right? Jesus even says, no one but the Father knows the day or time that the Son of Man will return. And he's telling this to his disciples and reminding them of the urgency they are to live their lives in of understanding that they can't plan for Jesus' return, but that he is coming back. And then he goes into this wonderful parable called the the parable of the ten virgins. And he gives this this illustration, this working illustration of why it is we need to be prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. And so I want to read with you Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Follow along as I read aloud. I'm reading from the NIV. Jesus tells the story this way. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all of the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us uh, some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. And later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Verse 13, Jesus' words, therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Bow your heads with me one more time. Lord, this is your word. These are your words. And this is your living word for us. May we be awakened from whatever slumber we may find ourselves this morning. And as such, may we possibly learn to be the alarm clock in our workplace, in our family, in our neighborhood, in our church, to those around us. Add your blessing, we pray, to the reading of your word here. Would you infill us with your spirit, help us to seek you and to experience your transformation every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love that Jesus teaches in parables, don't you? Uh, The parables are one of those things in Scripture, in the New Testament, that we really can uh, look at and read, and without a lot of deciphering, we can get some things. Even without a pastor trying to help us uh, uh, translate what might be being taught here, there's some things for us, uh, just generically, as we read through a parable, that make sense to us. Uh, One of the things that gets a little difficult, oftentimes in in Bible times, Jesus is teaching uh, to his original hearers uh, uh, an illustration that would make perfect sense to them, but then when we look at this wedding and we see these virgins and we see the bridegroom and we see multiple people we're like what is going on here and so sometimes there's helps provided i hope all of you have a study bible uh, on on hand at home uh, if you don't have a study bible at home i hope all of you have a computer and the ability to go uh, look up things on study bibles 
uh, online because there's some fantastic history and some fantastic stuff that as we read through things like the parables or even things in the Old Testament, there's some uh, helps provided for us by people way smarter than me. Uh, that give us a glimpse into what must be going on here, uh, what must be uh, happening that Jesus would be illustrating this storyline, this truth, in the way he does. And for here, uh, we have to understand how weddings happened in Jesus' times. As we read through this parable, we're like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. There was a wedding here yesterday, and I'm pretty sure there were no oil lamps uh, provided here. Uh, In our wedding, there were no oil lamps, there was no midnight, well, there was a midnight, no, uh, there was nothing uh, like what Jesus talks about uh, that happened in any of the weddings that I've been a part of in my life. And so let me just read to you a paragraph from the English Standard Version Study Bible that I have. The ESV Study Bible gives a good paragraph on what this wedding uh, ceremony looked like. Listen to this. It was the Jewish marriage custom for the groom and his friends to leave his home and proceed to the home of the bride, where the marriage ceremony was conducted, often in the middle of the night. And after this, the entire wedding party returned. They left the bride's home and returned to the groom's home for the celebratory banquet. So that's the tradition that we're working with here. As Jesus is telling this story, can you see the, the, the direct correlation that he had in explaining about what it would be like when the Son of Man returned? The disciples who are listening, they're on the edge of their seats here. I have to believe it. As Jesus is describing this thing, they are putting it together with all of the weddings that they've been a part of. All of the tradition that they they experienced as good uh, Jewish boys, they knew what Jesus was describing, and Jesus was using the real-life experiences of them to explain these fundamental truths that we have to understand today. This uh, experience of the Jewish tradition sounds pretty fun, doesn't it? Walking from one location to another to have a party in the middle of the night, to experience the the ceremony of marriage under the cover of darkness, and then to travel together as a bridal party back to the groom's house afterwards for this banquet. You see the picture of what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like when Jesus returns. The cast of characters is pretty obvious, isn't it? The bridegroom being Jesus coming back for his bride. He's coming uh, to uh, have union with his bride. He's coming to experience this uh, celebration as Jesus returns. We have reason to celebrate together. And then the transition from the ceremony of marriage taking place where uh, the bride returns with the groom back to his home. Uh, We know the truth that Jesus is coming to take us back. He's going to give us his eternal dwelling place in heaven on high, this is good news. Everyone who is a part of the bridal party who is prepared is returning. Everyone who is called by His name and is prepared and living a life of repentance and ready to glorify Him will return. This is good news, right? It's a beautiful illustration of things to come, but I believe there are some warnings within this story. I want to call them wake-up calls for us. Because I believe these uh, three warnings can serve as alarm clocks in our lives. As we look at this story, it's not just a good story. It's not just a good uh, parable that Jesus tells and uh, gives us some things to hope for. There's some warnings here. And if they are warnings for you and for me, they are also warnings for the world around us. Because Jesus is coming back. Amen? 
We believe it in our hearts. We know it. We testify with our mouths that Jesus is returning for his bride. He has promised. He is currently preparing a place for us. And he is coming back to take his bride. And we, the bride of Christ, we sang about it this morning. We will celebrate with him for eternity. So let's look at some wake-up calls. The first one is this. If you want to take notes, I would encourage you to just write this down. Preparation cannot be borrowed. Preparation cannot be borrowed. Look at the verses again. Verses 6 to 9 again from our passage. Listen again. At midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all ten virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Remember who this cast of characters is. Jesus, the bridegroom, and these uh, foolish and wise virgins are people. Right? People with the knowledge of who the bridegroom is. Five virgins are wise, five are foolish, and we see here in this picture that the groom arrives at the bride's home, five of the bridesmaids are prepared, and five are not. The unprepared ones make a crisis moment request here. They are saying to the ones who have the extra oil, they know how long this uh, celebration is going to last. They are prepared, and they ask, the foolish ones ask, of the wise ones. There's, there's a joke somewhere, here, somewhere in here about blondes and brunettes, but I'm not going to make that joke. The wise are asked by the foolish, hey, uh, can I have some of your oil? I want to be a part of this, but I, uh, I've been burning my lamp a little longer than I should while I've been reading at night. I've been spending some time uh, using up my preparation outside of what I should be prepared for. And the wake-up call in this instance, in this part of the story, is that uh, preparation cannot be borrowed. Maybe said a different way. Uh, Maybe I can paraphrase it my way. uh, To understand that grandma's religion is not going to be good enough for me. Grandma's preparation, mom's preparation, dad's preparation, the preacher's preparation, the preacher's salvation, mom's salvation, dad's salvation, great uncle George's salvation is not my salvation. Even in the crisis moment, we will not have the opportunity to say, oh, My grandma knew that truth. I hope that my grandma's knowledge of the truth is good enough for me. I hope that the church I was a member of had enough salvation to get me in. I hope that the small group I was a part of I hope that the women's Bible study I was involved with, I hope that the memorization of the Ten Commandments I did as a kid is enough for me. The prepared virgins in our story 
understood that they themselves had to be on their game. They were storing up these vessels of oil because they knew what was going to be happening. They knew they had to be ready for the groom to come. They knew they had to have it stored up and prepared. They knew that others around them were not prepared. And those who were not prepared couldn't borrow the oil. It doesn't do good stuff inside of my gut here. I like to consider myself a grace-filled kind of guy. So when I read this story and I put myself in the place as a, a part, as a member of the bride of Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ, I want to think that my grace would still be able to be extended to those in the moment of crisis. When Jesus returns, I want to be able to say, friends, neighbors, family members, here is the bride. We are the bride. Here is the groom. He's here. Prepare quickly. Preparation cannot be borrowed. My salvation is not good for my kids. It's not enough. Your salvation is not good enough for your neighbor. Your understanding of the truth of Jesus Christ is not enough for any other person. Preparation cannot be borrowed. There was a a dramatic representation in, in one of our churches that Jess and I served in, in in Indiana. It was maybe you've seen this. I don't know if, if Hyde's ever done this. Uh, Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Have any of you ever seen a Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames uh, play? Yeah. Okay. Some of you. Uh, one of the scenes in this play. They, it's an organization that comes into a church and uh, they do this evangelistic outreach. And one of the scenes in in this uh, this play about the truth of heaven and hell, Jess and I had the opportunity of, of acting in it. Obviously, they choose the least among us to uh, act in things. And Jess and I were this husband and wife, and we had an adopted kid, from some kid from the youth group, I think. And uh, this kid, we were in a, a car situation, and, and the storyline went something like this, where we were dramatizing this in front of uh, people where me, the, the, the cocky adult in the car, said something about uh, my wife's salvation. I hope she has enough religion for the two of us. We were having a conversation in that car, and then the car gets in an accident. That's the storyline. The lights go dim. And then the next scene is instantly before Jesus at the judgment seat. And it's an overwhelming truth to remember that in that scenario, in that scene, the father who is hoping that the preparation of others will get him into heaven one day was not enough. And it's pretty uh, dramatic in those scenes where uh, some are entered into glory in the dramatic representation and some are sent to a dark corner of the stage. Preparation cannot be borrowed. We can't get anyone into heaven on our own. We can't get into heaven on our own. Amen? Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. We cannot borrow others' preparation for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is returning. He will arrive as the groom and judge. And we, His bride, 
are called to acknowledge Him as Lord. Listen to Colossians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Our response to being transformed through Christ Jesus is to be rooted and built up. We have a a role and a responsibility as we receive the grace to continue to experience it and bubble it over. It is our responsibility, it is our opportunity to continue to grow in grace through Jesus Christ. It is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It is not a a once-and-done. There is growth that must happen in the life of a believer. And we have to declare it to the world. The wake-up call in this first understanding is to ask you this. Are you mistakenly living in the shadow of someone else's faith, hoping that their preparation for Jesus' return is enough for you as well? If that happens to be your heart this morning, don't live that way. Don't allow that lie of the enemy to take root in your heart and life. Jesus wants a relationship with you. Not just with grandma. Not just with those who have R-E-V in front of their name. Not just with those who teach Bible studies or Sunday school classes. Not just with those who serve in church situations. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. The second wake-up call is this. Preparation cannot be delayed. It cannot be put off. As Jesus continues to tell his story, the plot here thickens. The foolish bridesmaids run off, right? Uh, the, 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 the wise bridesmaids say, hey, go buy your own oil. Good luck. Have fun. Uh, go out there. Get some. Uh, because I'm not giving you any of mine. You have to go find some on your own. And they run off, realizing their lack of preparation, Right? And as they are still on their way to buy the oil needed for this ceremony, here's what the verse says, verse 10. While they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was propped open a little longer. The door was shut. You see here the story, the foolish bridesmaids are caught with the realization. They're, they're having that light bulb, that aha moment where they realize, oh, I should have, been, uh, should have been prepared. Well, maybe I'll take some time right now to do it. I'll run out to the store and get some oil. The hardware store is open, right? Walmart's 24 hours. I'll go get some oil. I'll be okay. Delayed by their own lack of preparation, not their lack of knowledge, They are in the same knowledge boat as the other five virgins in our story. They know better. They know that the bridegroom is coming. They know what is happening. They know the truth. They know the good news. And they've chosen to delay. And the wake-up call for us today, for our world today, is that preparation cannot be borrowed. But procrastination is rampant in our world, isn't it? In our culture, in our lives, I don't want to air all of my uh, dirty laundry, but I'm a procrastinator. I I like putting things off that don't necessarily have to be done in the moment. Anybody else? Don't raise your hands, you'll get in trouble. Keaton. 
We put things off in our life. I'm embarrassed to tell you. Well, I'm embarrassed until I've had a conversation with some of you uh, already this morning. I'm embarrassed to tell you that we've been uh, here in Clearfield for 14 months, and yesterday was our first visit to Bilger's Rock. We had so much fun yesterday. I, I was actually embarrassed. As we were climbing around the rocks as a family, I was like, I cannot believe we waited over a year to come and hang out here as a family. Some of you are like, I probably should go check that place out. It was fantastic, but we put things off. We, somebody tells us that it's a good idea to go visit Bilger's Rocks. It was Pastor Bob, like our first week, he's like, hey, you guys should go check that out. Okay, yeah, I will, as soon as I'm done with everything else. I'll, I'll, we'll get there. Bob and I were coming home from Dubois this week on Thursday, and he's like, hey, have you guys gone to Bilger's Rocks? And I was like, no, we still have. He said, look, we're going to pull in there real quick. He and I were driving together. And we just went and stood on top of the rocks, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I've got to get the family back here. So Saturday morning, we jumped in the car and headed up, and we just spent the day hiking. It was awesome. Procrastination, putting things off, is a part of what we do. We, we, we put other things in, in a category, and we, we say, this is more important for me at this time. This is, uh, needs to move up in the line, and I need to focus on this thing instead of this thing. And oftentimes, the thing that we should have been focused on becomes a bigger deal because we didn't focus on it. You ever forget to change the oil in the car? We procrastinate. Oh, I'll do that. I know I've got some wiggle room there, and then suddenly the car is doing things that it shouldn't do. We are procrastinators by nature. Proverbs verse, or chapter 27, verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. We continue to live this lifestyle, especially maybe as Americans, that says, Oh, I'll, I'll worry about that tomorrow. I was watching a film this week, and uh, it was an evangelistic film, and the, uh, these interviews were happening on the street, and someone told the, the, the street preacher, oh, I, I know all about that Jesus stuff. I'm going to give my life to Jesus on my deathbed. Wouldn't that be convenient? To be promised, right? Isn't that the dream of every teenager? I can just live however I want. I can delay being prepared to meet the judge when I get around to it. I'll get my life right with God when I've got some more time, when I'm older, when we've settled down, when things are a little less hectic. It's something, something that I have in my office, it's in my pocket right now. It's, it's a little circle, little wooden nickel size See what it says on there? To it. How many of you have seen something like this before? T-U-I-T. It's a round to it. And it says on the back, I will put God first in my life when I get a, a round to it. I, I'm not clever enough to carry these in my pocket. But those conversations are pretty common in today's culture. When someone have, finds out that I'm a, a pastor, it's funny how the language changes pretty quick. <laughs> Yesterday, we were having so much fun talking to people at Builders Rocks. We were taking a break at the concession stand, and we had talked to one guy, and he found out who I was in, in, in the community, and we were having a conversation. And then another lady came over. She was starting to talk, and he yelled at her, Watch your language, he's a preacher! 
So I swore at him and told him to stop. I didn't. Uh, but this is the idea of our culture that says, oh, yeah, eventually I'm going to do what my grandma did, right? Or eventually I'm going to do what all those things I learned in church mean. I'll get around to it. When, when things are rough, I'll surrender again. I'll get serious with the Lord. I will delay my preparation is what that boils down to. And here in our story, Jesus says that's not a possibility. It was the wise was the wise virgins in their preparation, not the foolish, who entered into communion with Jesus himself. And this truth is both personal and public. The personal call for us to surrender, to believe, and to repent, by its very nature, it, it, it is about us. God wants a relationship through Jesus Christ with you and for me. And the public nature of it is that when that happens, we shouldn't be able to help but declare that we are in union with the author of creation. The wake-up call for you and me again today is that we mustn't delay. Who is it in your life right now who needs reminded of God's extended grace and mercy, his offer of salvation? Is it a neighbor? Is it your spouse? Is it a coworker? Is it a stranger? We do not know what a day may bring. The groom is coming. Many acknowledge the signs all around us. Jesus is returning. His coming is imminent. He will return to bring his bride home. Wake up call number three. This is not politically correct. We can miss out. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if I could just stand up here and lie? You know there are people that do that. They're not willing to be bold enough to say that all matters of life and death hang in the balance. The truth is, The door is going to be shut. This is the serious reality. And not only will the door be shut, but it looks like people will be banging on the door. Verses 11 and 12, later the others, the foolish virgins in the story, come to the door. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replies, truly I tell you, I don't know you. That's not very cheerful coming from the 30-something pastor, right? That's not good news. No, the good news is that the door is currently open. If we accept God's word as God's word, if we are willing to apply the truth that it is a lamp for our path and not simply a collection of good ideas or stories, but that it is an instruction manual for life now, this truth should overwhelm you. In the parable, the union of bride and groom has begun. The ceremony is taking place and the door has been shut. There's no time for objection. The opportunity for salvation has been made available. The gift has been offered and the celebration has begun. And in life, 
we are promised that Jesus will return in much the same manner to judge the righteous from the unrighteous. Just chapters, a chapter later, in chapter 25, Jesus continues to tell uh, stories of what that judgment will be like. And it's not pretty. After this parable in chapter 25, he gives a glimpse of the coming judgment. Sheep on his right and goats on his left. Those surrendered to their master will receive an eternal inheritance. Jesus' words, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. To the goats on his left, those opposed to his offered grace, Jesus' harsh words in Matthew 25, verse 41, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The wake-up call is as simple and as serious as life and death. Which one of the alarms needs to be louder for you? Is it that preparation cannot be borrowed? Is it the reminder that it's not someone else's faith that will get us into heaven? Is it that preparation cannot be delayed? We can't continue to put off what must be done today? Is it to go against that, that common thought of procrastination within our culture and say, I need to be serious about God and Jesus today? Or is it the wake-up call that the door will be shut eventually? Is it the wake-up call that grace is being extended right now? God, for some reason, is holding back His wrath and judgment upon a world that deserves nothing less. Is it bad? It's bad. Are we sinful? We are sinful. Is God holy and just and perfect? He is. Why is He continuing to offer His grace and mercy to us? I don't have an answer, but He is. Back to the alarm clock. (laughs) We have alarm clocks in our, our room. Jess has her alarm clock, I have my alarm clock. I hate being woken up by Jess's alarm clock. (laughs) Anybody else's spouse's alarm clock just annoy you? I mean, we have guns in our house, and I have thought about destroying her phone and her alarm clock. Did I just say we have guns around? Am I allowed to say that? that I hate being woken up by Jess's alarm clock, but use this as a reminder. Maybe, maybe one of these alarms is being made truthful to us. It's a reminder to us. It's an alarm for us. Maybe the alarm that it is loud and clear in your life needs to be the alarm in someone else's life this week. Uh, Maybe it's the person sleeping next to you. Maybe it's the person living next to you. Maybe it's the person working next to you. Maybe it's the person 
this week studying next to you. The alarms that are truth for us, according to who we believe Jesus to be, may need to be sounded in our workplaces, in our families, in our homes, in our schools, in our community, at Builders Rocks, at Hyde Wesleyan Church. Let us strive to be people of the truth and declare not our own words, but the words of Jesus. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads? Lord, wake us up. Strengthen our desire to declare your truth. Lord, if there is one who is asleep today, and through your word, there is a nudging of need to wake up, I pray that today, that alarm would be loud. And for all of us who may be guilty of pushing the snooze button, on any one of these thoughts of yours, Lord, I pray that you would not allow us to delay, to put off preparation, or to understand that the door will eventually be shut. Would you help us to be awake and alive today. And as we experience that awakening again in our hearts and in our lives and in our very souls, would you help us to sound the alarm in our community, to sound the alarm in our own families, to sound the alarm far and wide. Thank you for the opportunities that are ours to declare your truth to the world. Help us to be bold as we resound your alarms of truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Heed the alarms and live for Jesus every day.